1: Hello, this is the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and Happy New Year to all snooker fans. Of course, the Championship League is underway, but the first real major event of the year is the Masters, the game's longest running invitation event. It starts on Sunday, and I've just sat down with Phil Yates to go through the Masters match by match. We're making our predictions, we're talking about the history of the event, and we're making, uh, well, wild assumptions about who might come through the first round, who might. Eventually win the tournament You can also uh, on the WPBSA website Check out a history I've written On the tournament Some great memories And I'm sure despite the situation we're in Despite the fact that of course the tournament has had to relocate As all the others have for now To Milton Keynes I'm sure there'll be more memories created by These great players over the eight days So this is my chat with Phil Phil, much to discuss But before we get to the Masters uh, A lot of people tweeted me Including David Grace who's a loyal listener about one of the, uh, the standout television uh,
0: entertainments of the Christmas period, Garfield 2. A film that you were in. A, a very hurtful uh, episode in my life, actually, Dave. Yeah. Uh, financially, because I've got nothing for it. <laughs> and I didn't even realise I was in it. Basically, what happened was, and this story is incredible, but it's the total truth. I was at the tournament, Ian McCulloch was there. And he said, I didn't realise you were in a film. I <laughs> so well, neither did I. Which yeah. one's this? And basically, his young daughter at the time had hired a a video that's how long ago it was and she said daddy daddy there's a man on tv talking about you anyway (laughs) you rewound it and of course the scene is that garfield is lying luxuriating on this bed in this stately home in england and they needed to provide i suppose programming that was typical for the uk and at the time snooker was the perfect example and I was talking about Ian McCulloch against Mark Williams. It's just one sentence, but you can clearly hear yeah. my voice. Um, so, of course, when Ian told me that I was in this film, word hadn't got Garfield too, and there it was. So, yeah. Um, How have you not sent an invoice? That's what I understand. Well, I mean, it's just you know, I have to just finish therapy over. it, To be honest, it's about 20, twenty-five years ago. It is actually quite a quite a funny film. Uh, Billy Connolly stars, and uh, no. Uh, Proud to be in it, but... I'm guessing guessing Billy Connolly got paid. uh, I would think so, yeah, slightly (laughs) more than me. Well, I think if he got one pence, he would have got more than me, but there you go. It's a bit like a, you know, Bob Friend from Sky News might turn up in one of these, you know, bigs of action films, but I think he he might have got to a few quid. Yes. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, Before the Masters, uh, we
1: just talked about that, of course, uh, Barry Hearn has been uh, finally given an honour in the New Year's Honours
0: List, an OBE. Um, Long time coming. There have been two great servants for snooker behind the scenes that deserve royal recognition. One was Clive Everton who got the MPE and of course Barry Hearn. I mean, what he's done for the game, when you think back, and it's not that long ago really, when you think back how awfully the game was placed, how badly it was run, how financially it was, you know, in the gutter. Players were playing six tournaments, maybe seven tournaments a year. You had to win. A lot of matches to win any kind of money. That tournament in Malta we went to, I think the first prize was something like 18,000 quid when Ken Doherty beat John Higgins and it was a full-blown world-ranking event. He came in and he's just completely, radically transformed the game for the better. And if you don't think he's done wonders, just look at this, this pandemic ravage season, or what should have been a pandemic ravage season. It's been salvaged. The guys are still playing for basically the same amount of money as they were last year, apart from the loss of the Chinese events. For the, for the snooker players, I, I would say they should get a big portrait of Barry Hearn and stick it in their house every day and say thank you. <laughs> because what he's done for the game, well, it's, it's beyond measure, actually.
1: Well, he, the point is, as you said about the pandemic, he's put more events on in the middle of a pandemic than some of the previous administrations managed in normal times. That's a fact. Um, and to me, I think also, and we could wind it out to other sports the way he's, you know, got hold of pool and darts and all these other... Uh, boxing, all these other sports. What he's done, he's created great nights out for people. And I've seen it and you've seen it, people come away from them with a smile on their face, they've had a good night out, they've spent their money, they've got value for money, um, it's not as maybe as, as expensive as some sort of entertainments are, and you know, he's
0: created a lot of great memories for people. He's appreciated in snooker, as he should be, he's respected in snooker, but you know, some other sports, particularly pool, and 10-pin bowling, which I've been involved with this year, and I've really enjoyed the, the Weber Cup, the 10-pin bowls. Those guys absolutely love Barry because he's put their sport in the spotlight when other promoters haven't. Basically, in pool, matchroom is pool now. And with the 10-pin bowling, the Weber Cup, that production is so much better than anything you'll see anywhere else. So it's not just snooker, but obviously his first love was snooker through Steve Davis back in the day. And the job he's done, and the job that Matroom have done, not just him, but Matroom in its totality, has been absolutely spectacular. If I was a snooker player, particularly, particularly the ones who are in their forties, it's just, what he's done is improve their lives and improve their financial wellbeing, and indeed their psychological wellbeing, well, more than tenfold, a hundredfold. Yeah, and also, like, again, to the pandemic, you know, people have had something to
1: watch. You know, snooker fans, obviously, the World Championship got pushed back, but we had it on eventually. We had those five great weeks, the viewing figures on all the channels BBC, Eurosport, and ITV were fantastic. It's given people something to watch in, the, in these difficult times. And, of course, they'll have the Masters to watch. Now, of course, the first thing to say is, of course, it's been moved to Milton Keynes. I don't think anyone is that surprised. Uh, there's no hotel on site at Alexandra Palace. There's no hotel for several miles, actually. So to have a strict bubble with the situation in the UK worsening would have been pretty much impossible. It is a shame. I mean, I was watching, actually, over Christmas, Eurosport was showing various finals. I caught a bit of last year's, actually, that Stuart Bingham won. And fantastic atmosphere, just brilliant at the Alexander Palace, um, you know, at the end, particularly after he won. Uh, but we knew there wouldn't be any, any fans here this year. And I'm not sure, I mean, snooker fans will have their own view. I'm not sure what difference it makes if you're watching it, actually, where it is, because I know for a fact they were not going to actually play it in the same hall anyway. They were going to play it in the theatre, so it would have looked completely different to the previous stagings there. I guess the main thing is it's just on.
0: All norms at the moment go out of the window. It's infinitely better to get it played wherever, in a safe environment, than to play where you want to play it. It's a shame, of course it is, but the decision was taken out of their hands, and not just for the Masters, I think for a whole variety of tournaments going forward as well. I personally can't see tournaments being played in their normal place upon <coughs> me until maybe the crucible in April if we're lucky.
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing, despite everything I've just said about, does it really matter? It would matter I think uh, with the world championship. I think I do think that has to be at the crucible. Now they proved last year they could do that safely. They did have a bubble. Let's hope so that happens again. One thing I do hope though next week is that the players are sensible because it can you know there's going to be quite a few days where they're not playing if you win your first match you have to wait play next match it can be boring it can be frustrating but they need to be sensible because there's a lot of people out there who are suffering massively they've lost their jobs they've lost their businesses we have people working in the health service i know you have family who work in the health service you know they're on the front line of this and they're not gonna have a lot of sympathy with a lot of rich snooker players complaining they're still playing for a quarter of a million pound first prize so i hope that they recognize that i'm sure most of them will and just get on with
0: putting on a show for everybody. And also a £15,000 guarantee Mm. if you lose in the first round. So, yeah, okay, it's a sacrifice, but it's a a minuscule sacrifice compared with what certain people are doing. A lot of people are doing, millions of people are doing. And so I think they would look really bad, morally bad, if they were to complain too much about being in a situation where, as you say, they can win what? You know it's referred to these days as life-changing money it is what it is the point is when we left London last year at the Tour Championship we just didn't know what was going to occur we didn't know what the disease was we didn't know how deadly it was we didn't know whether there would ever be a vaccine we didn't know whether the health service was going to be overrun we didn't know whether snooker was going to take place for a year two years whatever we didn't know whether sport would take place we're in a much better situation sports-wise now than we were then and as Boris Johnson continually says there is light at the end of that tunnel and I think that when snooker comes back to some form of normality and crowds are allowed back in it's going to be like a, a pent-up volcano, like a, a champagne core bursting out people having been deprived of seeing live snooker for so long having been deprived of seeing football or whatever for so long are going to turn up in the numbers and they're going to savour it even more and to have the game continuing in whatever form, well that's a godsend.
1: I agree, one thing I would say though, is, I, and I think people, obviously they are discussing online about the fact it's moving to Milton Keynes, some in favour, some not. Actually, it's a bit of a red herring. The most concerning thing for me is there's no sponsor for this tournament. Now this is the Masters, which I think a lot of people now accept is the second biggest event in the sport. Obviously we've relied a lot on betting companies in recent years, they've taken a hit in the last year when, when sports stopped and have got other priorities. There may be it may be that Matchroom sponsor it, but you know that's not the same as getting a sort of a, a big sponsor. And it is a concern because there's three revenue streams for snooker really. There's broadcast rights, there's ticket revenue, and there's sponsorship. Ticket revenue's gone for the moment. Obviously the broadcasters are still paying, um, but if we lose sponsorship as well, you know it is difficult. Now thankfully, as we've said, Barry runs you know a, a good operation. They've got plenty of reserves at Matchroom. They can cover it, and prize funds have not been cut. All they've cut is these million-pound bonuses that were unlikely to be paid out anyway, but the actual prize funds have stayed the same for the tournaments on the circuit. That can't be sustained forever, but as you say, hopefully, you know, things will change uh, as the year goes on. Um, but I've kind of said this before, you know, the way they put some of these events on a pedestal, if you're not going to get sponsored for the Masters, why would anyone sponsor any of the other tournaments? This is, this is an issue going forward, hopefully, that will be uh, resolved. Of course, Bet Victor are sponsoring various tournaments, Bet Fred sponsoring the World Championship. Um, but as it stands, as we record this, the Masters doesn't have a sponsor. But what it does have, of course, is a fantastic history. First stage, 1975. Uh, it was originally for 10 players. Um, top 16 from 1983, so maybe more recent than people may remember. And actually, I look back. The BBC you now they only covered every day from 1984, so it it wasn't immediately a top event. Its prestige grew and grew. I think in the 80s, as snooker grew in the 80s. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of become in my opinion it's become the second biggest tournament as the UK Championship has sort of gone a little bit the other way because the Masters format has essentially been enhanced, I mean they actually made the matches slightly longer best of 11s, the final slightly longer UK's gone the other way um, and we saw last year when the work, work crowds you know, they, they made uh, the, the big effort with the hospitality I think watching
0: on TV you'd look at the Masters and you'd say that's a good day out Absolutely, I think indisputably It is the number two event in snooker obviously the world championships number one i don't think the uk championship indisputably is number three you could make a case out for it being number three but there's other uh, events coming up to to challenge that but the masters is fantastic i went to my first world championship in 72 when i was well nine years of age went to one session uh, at sully park when higgins and spencer played my father took me to the masters I think from 77 onwards for about four years. And I remember one year, we got tickets for this particular day and snow descended on the West Midlands and we couldn't make the journey down. And I was absolutely distraught. I mean, I can remember crying over this. I was just so distraught. I was probably maybe 14 and I was, oh no, the worst thing possible, missing the Masters. As soon as you walked in there, you just knew there was an aura about it because all of the top players were there the crowds were there the atmosphere was second to none and I remember we went to one match I can't remember what year it was when you're that young you can't but it, Alex Higgins played Ray Reardon and he was absolutely brilliant Higgins so um, uh, that, that's my memories of it and ever since then it's sort of developed into well I, I think the greatest tournament to market the game not just the game itself but it's potential to host uh, wonderful hospitality suites and to get corporate firms involved because that's what the game needs, going back to your um, suggestion of our sponsorship.
1: Yeah, and you know it's almost sort of you're almost legally obliged to say now every match is like a final, but it is because what's changed, of course, under Barry Hearn is the ranking system. So it used to be you're ranking hell for the whole season, so you get people going to the Masters. Might not have won a match. I mean, Alain Robert did one year when they hadn't won a match all season, completely out of form. wasn't one of the best sixteen players in the world at that point. They are now. You know, I know the cut off was after the UK, but it's actually. The top 16 now as we speak is actually that, that same 16 uh, players so they're all players who, who are in form and, and you know they're, they're, it's the elite and there's nothing look it's absolutely right that we have tournaments for everyone but there's nothing when we're showcasing the
0: best of the best. No absolutely not well there's been a lot of talk about you know should the Masters be made a world ranking event because I suppose logically there's no reason why it couldn't be because people qualify from the rankings and we've seen the the Tour Championship, the, the Players Championship, the World Grand Prix—you know, people get in off the one-year list, so why not be able to get into a ranking event off the two-year list. I've got no particular objection to it being a ranking event, other than this: why change your winning formula? It's that invitation event, it's that aura, it's that history. Why change something that isn't broken?
1: Well, it wouldn't make it any better. No, it wouldn't make it any better. It might, arguably might make it worse, actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, what we're going to do? We're going to go through the draw. And for what it's worth, we're going to predict the, the winners of the first round matches. Now, I remember last year, there were a lot of upsets in inverted commas. I mean, i said every match is like a final, but some players you fancy more than others. Defending champion is Stuart Bingham, became the oldest champion last year. Um, he plays Tetchara Nu, who's the first tie to play in the Masters since James I. In fact, he was the only other tie. That was back in 1999, so 22 years. Um, he's a bit of an unknown quantity. We know how good he is, Tetchara, We know how quick he is. He's not going there with a big crowd, which you could work one of two ways. It could have inspired him because they get behind him, I think, the way he plays. Or, first appearance, he could have, he could have been overawed. Um, what, what do you think of that one? I think it's interesting, this top quarter, because Murphy and Williams are in it as well.
0: None of those players are really in form, but one of them's going to be in the semis. I'll precursor everything I'm going to say here by saying this. The two tournaments every year that are the toughest to predict, not just who's going to win it, but each individual match, Masters and the shootout. Shootout for obvious reasons, the format. The Masters because every match, as you say, is top quality and any match, whether it's at the English Open, Welsh Open, wherever involving Tepchara New, that is the real time form squiggle which indicates unpredictability. He's one of those players, he's best, he's so much better than his worst, but having said that, I think that also applies to Stuart Bingham. Now, we had a little dress rehearsal of uh, Bingham Unnu in the Championship League, and Bingham Motor 147 has that sent a message. I don't know. What I will say is both of them could win. Maybe, maybe Unnu will be under a slightly more pressure because he's not used to playing in that kind of environment for so much money from the first round onwards. Also, I think Bingham will be highly motivated as the defending champion. So, I'd say Bingham would be my favourite, certainly, but not at a very short price. I,
1: I'm tipping Bingham, and I do think one thing in his favour is he's not starting out. Which sometimes it's not set in stone at the Masters, the World Championship, defending champs starts out. Sometimes, do the Masters playing that first match with all the attention on him. You know that would add pressure. The fact that there would have been a few matches before that may help him. I think he's. I think I love watching him. Uh, he's a little bit of an erratic player and, you know, if you're going for sort of, it's quite a long match, best of 11. I think Bingham, with his experience, may get the win, but, you know, anyway, these are just fun predictions. Uh, next match, again, you know, two former champions, two world champions, Sean Murphy, Mark Williams. Neither player's shown a lot of form. Sean's had problems with, because he lives in Ireland, all the coming and going. When he was over there, when he was back home, he couldn't practice. Obviously, you know, he's got two young children. He was missing them when he was at Torments. Cramped hang around in Milton King's. Mark Williams doesn't seem to play that much. You know, he's pulled out the Championship League. We haven't seen him. Since, I think since the UK Championship when he had that extraordinary beard. Um, so it's one of those again. One of them's got to win, but at the moment neither of them are necessarily in form.
0: We just talked about Tchouamenou against Stuart Bingham being very hard to forecast. I think this match is the ultimate X factor, purely and simply because, as you say, they're both lacking competitive reps. not been involved in snooker for a number of weeks and going into that environment which is highly charged no crowd or, or crowd i think it's really really tough to say who's going to win that one murphy's played very well at times this season but at other times he struggled as for mark williams well he's got one thing on his side he's fresh mentally fresh so maybe that could be a factor I'm probably going to just say Williams here because Murphy's career seems to go in cycles and the the highs are very high and the lows are quite low and I just got the impression that this season might be a low point for him. Of course he's so good and his cue action is so phenomenally straight that when he starts playing well again the highs will be achieved but right now I would say he's a little bit susceptible so I'm going to say Mark Williams. Well, I hope we don't agree on all of them, but I, I, I do
1: agree. I, I just think Williams, even when he's out of form, he's a very wily player, we know that, a lot of tablecraft. He can win bad matches, and that's, that's a compliment, that's not an insult. He can win matches when he's not playing well. You sort of forget how he's won them, um, and it may be that that's what happens. Um, let's move on. This uh, this is, I think, a match that could be very close. Mark Selby, Stephen Maguire, um, they had a great match last year, I think, at the Players' Championship. Uh, Selby, of course, three times champion. I think one of the interesting dynamics about this is Maguire, you know, last time he was here, in Milton Keynes, he completely lost the plot. I mean, he had, you know... The thing, I think we should say, for, you know, people say Milton Keynes is central. It's not actually, if you live in Scotland, it's a seven-hour drive. They can't come down together, because if you share a car, you know, if the other guy tests positive, you're out of the tournament. Um, and sort of the coming and going that, that he did, it clearly did get to him, he smashed the pack against Zach Shurity in uh, the Scottish Open, and was very clear afterwards he didn't like uh, the whole setup. Obviously, he's had, you know, a month to, to get over that but he's playing mark selby and mark selby won't be like that
0: mark selby is playing some of the best snooker i think i've ever seen him produce mm. that is a much more easy match for me to predict because of all of the factors you've just said Stephen mcguire has won a tournament, of course in milton keynes a very very big one the tour championship won the bonus as well the the coral series bonus so he is a winner here but i think over the last few months The constant travelling, the constant isolation in this hotel just doesn't suit him. And I think it's ground him down. Hopefully Christmas will have maybe cleared some of those thoughts away and he can start afresh. But you have to say Selby's favourite there, based on the way Selby's played this season, which has been, for the most part, fantastic. I agree with all that, but I'm going to go for Maguire. Purely because
1: actually in this tournament, if you look back, his record is really good. I know he's not won it, but he's got a good record of beating actually top players early on. And there will be upsets. So even though I kind of think Selby will win, I'm gonna stick my neck out and go for Steve Maguire. Remember we're not wagering here, it's all just it's all just good fun. Uh, the final match in the top half is Neil Robertson and Yan Bing Tao. Yan Bing Tao making his debut, so you know, again it's a shame that it's not in the usual way with the crowds, but he's in the tournament. I think he's an interesting player because he's sort of he's talked about as if he's kind of I've heard people say, you know, he's gone backwards, but I don't get that at all. He's 11th in the world. This is his highest ever ranking. He won a ranking event last season. He was in the final of the Players' Championship, which is a big tournament. Um, you know, got through the first round of the World Championship. He, he's, a, he's a different player, I think, to a lot of the other young Chinese. He's not all about attack. He's very stubborn. He can grind it out, which is a good, good skill to have. Um, and he beat Neil Robertson in the UK
0: Championship last season. Yeah. I think Ming Tao, for me, in terms of talent level and in terms of the way he imposes himself is about the same level, which is a good level, as someone like Zhou Yulong or maybe even Zhao Zintong, but he does have the achievements to back himself up, that's the thing. I really do think Robertson's going to win that match though. I think the way he's played this season at times has been tremendous, as always. And he's one of those players who puts a great amount of store on what he regards as the biggest events. He's definitely not done himself justice in the World Championship. There's no doubt about that, although he won it 11 years ago now. I think he'll put a lot into this Masters campaign. I think it's very interesting, actually, that he's playing together with Mark Selby in Group 3 of the Championship League. So he's going to get two days of hard, competitive match practice before the Masters begins. I think that will really help him. And I would make him a quite powerful favourite to win that match, actually.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. He lost in the first round last year, but... I think it was the first time in ten years he lost in the first round of the Masters. I always wonder about how he get on. I mean, he was the first winner at the Alexander Palace, actually, in twenty twelve. But because he, he goes away over Christmas to Norway, um, and inevitably, as a holiday, he doesn't necessarily practice in normal times. Does he lose a little bit of sharpness on the other players? Well, we're not in normal times, are we? Like you say, he's you know he's had a fantastic season. I think he does. He, he's interesting. He was talking to Rachel uh, on Eurosport about. She was talking about the Triple Crown tournaments and. This was before he won the UK, and he said, well, people talk about those, but you know, I won the China Open, which he actually said was the second biggest ranking event. I won the Champion of Champions. He said, these are majors as well. But then when he won the UK, it was back, oh, I'm so proud I've won the, the Triple Crown events again. So, and, I, and I like that, actually, because you've got to use whatever you can. And, and what he's got is great sort of positivity about himself, about his game. Um, and I'm with you. I do fancy him to win that match. Into the bottom half, and the bottom half is brutal, I think, actually. If, you know, They're all great players, I know, but the bottom half, there's some real big hitters here. And we start, of course, with Judd Trump against Dave Gilbert. That's actually the first match on Sunday. I mean, Dave last year played really well on his debut. He got to the semis. His form has collapsed since, let's be honest, it has. Trump's form has held up sensationally. I mean, let's be honest, if Gilbert wins that, that's a major upset.
0: If you listen to my commentaries on snooker for, God, 15 years... You'll know that I'm a massive Dave Gilbert fan. I think he plays in a beautiful fashion, looks good, and when he's at his best, he's a match for anyone. The problem is he's not at his best at the moment. He would be the first to agree with that. He's a realist, Dave. He doesn't beat about the bush. He knows he's not had a good season. He's had a terrible one, in fact. Don't know what the reason is, but there is a reason. And right now I think he's very vulnerable to a heavy defeat by Trump. In normal circumstances, I'd be looking at that as a potential banana skin for Trump because I really rate Gilbert, but form for him certainly pre-Christmas, by his standards, by his recent standards, very bad. Trump, of course, he did lose first round last
1: year, but it was to Sean Murphy. I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like a sort of massive upset. Of course, won the Masters two years ago. You know, he's coming good week on week in week out, isn't he? And he'll be motivated as everyone will be at the Masters. I can't i can 't see past him, but I agree with you. Next one those interesting Connor Wilson Jack Mazowski. They played last year in the first round Wilson won six two because we saw Jack in the last event before Christmas um, left it late, but in the end played great in that final against Trump, and you know it, it looked all for all the world to be seven all Trump made a great clearance right six gave him some breathing space um, he's I thought it might have been his night the way he was coming back you know he was playing really well, credit to Trump for the way he held on but Could he maybe now
0: have turned the corner? Because that's definitely the best he's played in a final. Yeah, and the way he played in the semi-final also Mm. was really, really encouraging. It's encouraging for all of us because you need people like Jack Lazowski to do well. If he were to break through and maybe win a couple of big tournaments or even one big tournament, I think it would be phenomenal for the game as a whole, not just for him. Having said that, I think in Kyron Wilson, he's got an opponent who is, well, it's the ultimate clash of styles. And I think Wilson's got a very good record against Judd Trump head to head. And Lazowski is, in many respects, very similar to Trump. So I think from Wilson's point of view, I don't think he'll be intimidated. No. Having said that, if Lazowski plays his best, and he plays his best for four tournaments, he could be master's champion. That's how good he is. Mm. People don't realize just how good his best is. It's phenomenal. I will say, I fancy Wilson, but only slightly. I'm going to go for Jack. I think
1: this environment may help him actually slightly because he admits himself he gets very nervous. He's aware of people watching him. He's not the best at shutting all that out. Well, there's no crowd, um, so there's no one literally in the arena watching him. Um, and yeah, I just think you know, he played so well in the last event. Let's not forget how it ended for Wilson with that uh, match with Ronnie O'Sullivan. when That incredible shot you know, when he went in off the pink, probably the worst shot of the year. I'm sure he would agree with that. Um, I think it could be an interesting one, that. It's a clash of stars. I'm just going to edge towards Jack Lazowski. Two matches left. Uh, John Higgins, twice champion, against Mark Allen. John Higgins, he's a twice champion. Now, most people, if they won the Masters twice, that would be like a career highlight. But he's also lost a lot of early matches in the Masters. Mark Allen won it three years ago, but hasn't won a match since. Two first round defeats.
0: I think that's possibly the toughest of them all to call. Yeah, definitely. The thing with John Higgins is. These days, and I think it applies to every single player past a certain age range. You just don't know what they're going to do from day to day. And I think he would be the first to agree with that himself. Uh, As I said before, we're sitting here doing this podcast at the Championship League, and he started off the Championship League in absolutely fantastic fashion, looked really, really good. So hopefully that's a good sign. The thing with Mark Allen is, and I think it's a recurring theme, but it's true, he's one of those players who, when he plays his best, can be absolutely inspirational. So I'm not going to ever write him off against anyone in any match. And of course, he does have a a tournament win under his belt this season, the champion of champions. Wouldn't it be ironic if he were to win the Masters (laughs) as well, which is well within his capabilities? And then you have him winning the champion of champions and the Masters, undoubtedly the two biggest invitation events in the game, but in terms of ranking points, with yeah. absolutely nothing to show for it.
1: Yeah, although his back balance would uh, would would be pretty healthy. So, uh, who, who do you fancy then overall? In that in the in Allen, other match, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, I'm going to say
1: Alan, but just marginally. I I agree. I think it'll be close, and I think you're right with Higgins. You just don't know these days. You know, the consistency maybe isn't there as it once was. Um, he's got this new queue. I think he would have worked hard with it. But, I mean, Alan's a very tough draw, isn't he? He really is. But uh, that'll be an interesting one. I think that could be, like I say, possibly the match of the round. Although a lot of people have said the last one will be uh, Ronnie Sullivan, Ding jun Wee. Of course, they played in a Masters final. And I think when the draw came out, a lot of people said, you know, for Ronnie, a tough draw, which it is. But you look at the head-to-head, it's 16-4 to O'Sullivan. So, you know, in t- I know Ding's beaten me at the World Championship, the UK Championship, beat him in a ranking final, but it's 16-4.
0: Absolutely It's a tough draw Because Ding Chin Is a world class player And he could easily Have been a world champion He's not been But he could have been So absolutely But the problem is You see with the Masters Every draw is tough Yeah Comparatively With the other people Who could have drawn I think it's a good draw mm-hmm. As you say Head to head wise And also Ding's form Apart from winning The UK Championship The season Before last You know It's been really barren At times, he's looked okay. Obviously, he's staying in this country for an extended period of time now, away from his his wife and child, which is a terrible sacrifice for him to have to make. Does that mean he's distracted? Does that mean he's demotivated? Maybe, but what it does, it gives him the opportunity to practice more. Now, if Ding is at his best, O'Sullivan could have a real problem there, especially if O'Sullivan continues to produce the form he showed in the World Grand Prix which I thought was one of the, the worst tournaments I've ever seen him play in many respects, considering that he was trying. He was really trying hard and he just couldn't generate his normal brilliance. Now, I just get the feeling he's the greatest player ever. I get the feeling he will have gone away over Christmas and I might be completely incorrect on this. I don't know, I've got no idea, no, no inside track, just speculating, I get the feeling he'll have gone away, try to work hard on his game to come back for the Masters and be like he normally is which is an absolutely extraordinary force. If that's the case O'Sullivan's a big favourite. If he continues to struggle like he did in the World Grand Prix and Ding has practised a lot over Christmas with nothing much else to do then maybe Ding could win that one but I will say O'Sullivan.
1: Yeah I mean I tend to agree but you never know with Ronnie obviously. Um, I mean he didn't play in it last year and no one really still knows why. I mean I think everyone has their theories but he didn't play in it. One of his sort of claims was that you know and this was before the pandemic he said you know it's a, it's, an, it's a sick building you get ill when you go there but he still went there to do eurosport analysis so that didn't really make sense good to see he's back in of course he's the record champion seven masters titles a lot of finals as well um again for him it's a different experience to walking out in front of thousands in a, in a big london venue to walking out in front of nobody um he's got a lot of respect for ding and in a way that that could be a problem for ding he's not gonna mess around against him i think ronnie you know he's at a certain level where He can get to semi-finals not playing well, he can get to finals not playing well, and I would argue he has done this season. Um, But it's then getting over who you're playing in the finals, and at the moment we've got Trump, Selby and Robertson, who are far and away playing the best snooker on the tour, those three players. They're winning the big titles, and Selby's beat Ronnie in a final, obviously Trump beat him in that semi-final and, and the Northern Ireland final. So, it's whether he can get back to that level. Now, it's only August that he won the World Championship, so it's not like it's been a real barren spell It's literally the end of last season, a few months ago. You always get the feeling at any point you can click back into life, and why not in this event where he's had such a a great record? Um, So I I do kind of fancy him there, but, you know, it's a very tough section. I mean, he could play potentially Higgins. By the way, John Higgins, I meant to mention, he sets a new record uh, this year, 27 successive appearances at the Masters. Now, Jimmy and Steve played there 27 times, not consecutively. So that just shows an extraordinary record of achievement just I I said this on commentary yesterday actually there's no sign of him dropping out of the top 16 at all 6th in the world John Higgins you know Ronnie was out because he he didn't play for a season Um, and of course he's not played in a couple of the Masters over the years so if it's going to be Higgins O'Sullivan I think we'd all enjoy that that would cheer everyone up but we we just don't know I mean it's a very tough section and that's why for me we're going to predict our winners now I'm going to look to the top half because I think it's I think it's a slightly easier half if, if there is such a thing in the Masters my choice for what it's worth, is Neil Robertson. Uh, we saw him win the UK Championship in dramatic fashion. I think it was inevitable that maybe he wouldn't then push on in the immediate events. I know he pulled out the Scottish, lost first round of the World Grand Prix. Robert Milkins played very well against him. I quite like his draw. Um, he might play Selby in the, in the in the next round, but he's beaten him a few times this season. Um, so for what it's worth, and I
0: apologise to Neil if he's listening, I'm tipping Neil Robertson. Okay. Well, I'll start by saying well, I would like to see when, I would like to see Ronnie O'Sullivan win it because. Over the years, I think the greatest Masters achievement undoubtedly was Stephen Hendry winning Mm -hmm. all of those Masters in a row. But there are three players who have electrified the Masters over the years. Alex Higgins. I saw that with my own eyes as a a youngster. Phenomenal. In a a different league in terms of energising the crowd. Well they used to, I mean they literally would run into the, storm the stage after he matches. Yeah, so Higgins (laughs) first, then Jimmy White. Yeah. The 84 semi-final against Kirk Stevens perhaps the best-known Masters moments mm. of all time the 147 from Stevens then the, the wonderful break from White to wrap it up so you've got Higgins White and now O'Sullivan they are the three players mm. who've done more for the Masters than anyone else so I would really love to see Ronnie come back to his best and win it I do have grave reservations about whether that's going to happen though I hope I'm incorrect my personal tip would be someone I think is really trending nicely. Two things I like to see in a player when they come into big tournaments. One is confidence, and one is consistency. And in my book, one player stands out in that. Well, two, obviously, Jeff Trump, but he's got confidence and consistency all the time. The other one, and my pick, Mark Selby. Okay, well, interesting, because of course he could play Robertson potentially in the
1: quarterfinals. Of course, they have won it before. I mean, Mark Selby a three times winner, Robertson's won it. You know, a lot of former winners in this field. A lot of great memories as well we'll just wrap up maybe talking about a couple of them you mentioned there obviously 84 I think we what the, the the Masters we remember are the close finals aren't they and of course Paul Hunter as well we we must remember him at this time and the trophy belatedly was named after him he won three in four years all in deciders all with comebacks um,
0: we've not had a, a close final for a while though Paul Hunter myself and a, a lad who worked for the Daily Mail called Pete Ferguson had an idea just after. to Paul's uh, death that they should have the trophy named after Paul Hunter it just seemed so right because he, he did so much for the Masters he was more synonymous with that tournament than any other the idea wasn't agreed upon but as soon as Barry Hearn came in it was well not actually not as soon as it's only, it's only about three years ago ok alright well Barry Hearn came in and made the decision which should have been implemented well before mm. and I'm really glad it has been because what a loss it was for the game. I, I just think the Masters has got so much history that we should look back at these great moments all the time. Because it, what it does, it actually enhances the tournament now, mm. doesn't it? If you look back at all the great moments. For, for me, I think it's a, a moment I talked about before, the, the, the Kirk Stevens one four seven. 4 7 that's my, my, my personal favourite. Because 147s then were as rare as hen's teeth, weren't they? Yes. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't just the fact he did it, it was the way he did it and what it meant to him. Um, He dressed very flamboyantly as well and he knocked in some fantastic shots. So that's my my personal uh, high watermark as as far as the Masters is concerned. I think undoubtedly the achievement was Henry winning one after another after another. Because what you've got to consider is, back then, it was a very hostile atmosphere for oh, Stephen yeah. Hendry. Yeah, People yeah. didn't want him to win. Yeah. Yeah. He was booed when he went into the arena. But, but generally speaking, I just hope that you know, this year's, although it's going to be very, very different, lives up to its predecessors.
1: I think I'm right in Paul Hunter was the last uh, first-time winner to defend the title. because that's what Stuart Bingham's looking to do. I'll just throw a couple into the mix, because they feature players, three players who are still in the tournament. Of course, Mark Williams on the respot in 1998. I mean, that was extraordinary. And even Mark got nervous. That's how, that's how tense it was uh, against Stephen Hendry. And then 2006, possibly the best ever final, um, last final at Wembley Conference Centre. John Higgins, sort of, if you wanted to explain John Higgins' career to anyone, you just show them the clearance he made against Ronnie O'Sullivan. 60 nil down, took, a, took on a red to the right middle. Wasn't clear if he hit it hard enough. It hung on the lip. Everyone was holding their breath, dropped in. Cleared up with sixty-four under intense pressure. You know, thousands of people, most of them on Ronnie's side, probably in London, uh, millions watching on TV. Fantastic, and of course, those two, well, all three of those players are still going strong. And you know, it's great to have that continuity. It's great to see the new faces as well. It should be a
0: great tournament, despite we know the situation we're in, but it should still be a great event. Yeah, and the Masters also, in a very niche way, serves as a real, um, a really good focal point for us commentators and I do it all the time explaining just how good the standard is these days (laughs) here we go Perry Manns is going to get a mention well he is he is (laughs) but not just that how good the standard is these days to compare it was back in the day when the Masters first began now yeah Perry Manns gets rolled out he won the Masters without making a single 50 break 48 is highest in the entire tournament I mean that is that is just incomprehensible isn't it yeah well now it is yeah yeah it won't
1: be a match one without a
0: 50 break now yeah Yeah. right well in fact there was a masters a few years ago where there was a century in every match apart from one yeah and they actually the the bookmakers actually do a betting market now will there be a century in every match Mm. which is and it's quite conceivable there will be but the other point i was going to make was from 1975 to 78 inclusive the first four masters there wasn't a single century no not one. Well,
1: the year Perryman's won. There were two centuries. Here's a question to finish with. Then, who were the two players who made? I, I don't know who made the first one because they are both in the quarterfinals. But who were the two players who made the first two master centuries? We're talking 1979. Eddie Charlton? No. He's one. One was. I think they. No, they both won it. They both won it in the early days. Reid? No. I'm doing well here. aren't You just. You just. i will just picking names. I'll t- Alex Higgins and Doug Mountjoy. Right. Okay. So. Yeah, but was, uh, but there were only two that year. You know, I mean, how many will be this year? We don't know. Probably over thirty. I I'm guessing.
0: And Doug Major, of course, what his win in the Masters came very shortly after he won the World Amateur yeah. Championship. That was a great achievement. I think he was a late call up for because he wouldn't have been one of the wouldn't one wouldn't have been one of the top ten in the world. So I think he replaced someone or something. But that's again, you know, mm. the, the changing of the eras. If somebody wins the World Amateur Championship yeah. nowadays, or you know, the WSF Championship. And a year later, wins the Masters. That would be mm. incredible. Okay,
1: well, there we are. That's what we think. Um, it all starts on Sunday on the BBC and Eurosport. I think Hazel's back for the BBC, which, which would be good for them. Um, but anyway, it's all live on the eight days, and uh, let's see what happens. We, you've heard our tips. I'm sure everyone's got their own opinions. I think the bottom line is settle back and enjoy it. We all need uh, something to, to entertain us at the moment. Thanks, Phil, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.